study. So tell me, how many of you guys came here today expecting that you'd uh, open up our time of sharing with a five-man electrical band? Anybody? I have to tell you that for some strange reason, as I was preparing for today, that song was laid on my heart for the first time in many years. Seeing as the subject matter last week and this week concerns when religion meets Jesus, I finally realized just how appropriate the words of that song are. For so many people and for so many years, religion has posted the do this and don't do that signs to block the scenery or the kingdom of God. How many times have you felt as if religion has made you feel that you ain't supposed to be here because you don't have a membership card to get inside? Unfortunately, it happens far too often. How many of you have had an opportunity to stand before a group of people and share with them your expertise in a particular area of training? I ask you a question, is it harder to do that before a group that knows you well or before a group to which you're a complete stranger? Are you more or less intimidated by speaking to those who know you well? Why is that, do you suppose? I would assume everybody would say it's before those that know you well, right? They say that an expert in any given subject is one that has traveled at least 50 miles to speak. Is this a new phenomenon that has come about with the advent of instant travel and high-speed communication? If you think so, then let me share this passage of Scripture with you. It comes from Mark 6, first six verses. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. The sad truth that even Jesus was rejected and not recognized for who he was in his own hometown. They were amazed by his teaching, and yet somehow, because they knew him, they were offended by him. They rejected him. Jesus was amazed by their unbelief. Because of their unbelief, Jesus was unable to do great signs and miracles in their presence. As one Bible commentary I read says, unbelief insulates and isolates the power of God. Faith is the one requirement to release the power of God in salvation. So it was true in Jesus' day, and it is true yet today. In the very place that people should know him best, the church, it often seems he is not known very well, or worse yet, he is rejected. I want to read to you from the second chapter of Galatians. This is from a, the message translation. At the end of the second chapter of Galatians, Paul writes, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be a God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, pure-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? 
I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. I believe that if Jesus were to walk the earth today and visit some of his churches, he would have much the same words as he did for the Pharisees of old. Or as the song says, he would tell them, man, you're some kind of sinner. It doesn't matter the denomination nor the size of the church, as John pointed out last week. When religiosity, I might have made that word up, I'm not sure. But when religiosity wins out over a genuine relationship with Christ, a church is isolated from the kingdom of God. Lest we forget, we are the sheep. He is our shepherd. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All is pretty inclusive, but sometimes we seem to forget that. God never intended for us to take the role of God. He intended for us to take on the role of pointing the world towards Him. He intended that our love for one another and for Him would be so attractive and appealing for those outside of His family that they would seek Him out. He intended that the transformation in us would be so clear that others would notice this unnatural change in us and wonder what caused it. Does this sound like your average church? My greatest fear, my greatest fear, as a follower of Jesus Christ is that someone looks at me and judges my Lord and Savior Jesus on my behavior or my words. I am not him, and he is not me. I am merely a shadow of who he is and who he wants me to be and who he will make me. But what I know is people will do that. For those outside the family of God, you and I and the church is a standard by which God will be judged. This is the reason why our faith and acceptance of our absolute dependence on God and our absolute inability to live up to those standards of God must be genuine to those around us. When lost people see a follower of Jesus that is in full touch with his or her imperfections, we become a light that is attractive. Every lost person knows, whether they will admit it or not, that they have some imperfections and qualities that could be improved. They know that not all the things that they think and they desire are good, when a person that does not yet know Jesus meets genuine faith face to face, it is unsettling. It's attractive. It's uncomfortable. It's undeniable. Why? I believe it's because it gives them hope. It shines a light on the same hope that sustains you and I. It allows them to see that God may even have enough love to go around for them. Unfortunately, far too often what the world sees and the standard upon which they judge our Lord is the standard set by our religion. Things like the church we see on the news all the time that demonstrates at the funerals of servicemen and servicewomen holding up signs that scream, God hates fags, and God is glad your son is dead. That is not the God that you and I know. And yet that and many other instances like that are painted of the church in our time. And it's not just in the news that this happens. Look around us in this community, too. Religion beats out God of that equation often. I had a man that worked for me once tell me that the people in his church told him on the day of his baptism, that's too bad. And he responded to them, what's too bad? They said, after today you can't wear those blue jeans anymore because God doesn't like blue jeans. He never went back to church. Not just that church, but any church. When he told me that, I bought him a Bible and I said, read this. I spoke to him about the grace and the love about, and about God's own dislike for religion. 
I told him that if he didn't want to wear jeans because he felt it was disrespectful to God, then God bless him. Good for you. Don't wear jeans. However, if he didn't feel that conviction, then I assured him that you will not find God speaking out against Levi Strauss anywhere in the Bible. This gentleman no longer works for me, but I see him on occasion. The last time I spoke with him, he was, in the, he was back in church and growing in Christ. So I say, praise God. So how do I know that religion is often an obstacle in the way of people coming into a relationship with Jesus? How can I be so sure of this? Because for me, for 40 years, I walked in the wilderness. I didn't know that I was in the wilderness. In fact, I thought I was in the city, and all those religious fanatics were in the wilderness. I was probably half right. Let me tell you a little bit about my journey home. I grew up in church from the time I was old enough to remember my family went to church. In fact, we were in church a lot. From the time I was born until I was 15, the church played an important role in the life of my family. We were at church on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, and Friday evenings. Dad was a deacon for most of my youth. Mom was always helping out with the ladies' bazaar. As I was writing this, I thought to myself, what a strange name for a group of ladies. Bazaar. Maybe not. I learned about the Bible in my youth. I heard the stories. I saw the pictures. I played tic-tac-toe with my brothers during the sermons. I really did. I don't recall that the church I went to teaching about the grace of God and our salvation by faith alone. If they taught it, I simply don't recall it. What I do recall is that the sermons were often full of the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. The things that we must do to achieve heaven. Or the things that would earn us a sure, straight trip to hell. Do not pass go and do not collect $200. I remember being told as a 12-year-old that I was expected to go through these classes that would mark my passage to adulthood and it would culminate in my baptism after saying a few things about what I had learned before the congregation. So I did as I was told and on March 14th of 1973, the day before my 13th birthday, I successfully completed all the requirements and I got baptized. Nothing changed for me, of course, but I did have that one step behind me, so I was on my way. Heaven was closer. And then when I was 15, things went south. See, I was a swimmer, and I had three brothers and a sister who were also swimmers. My dad was our head coach. Mom was the number one booster. So three out of four weekends, we uh, were gone to swim meets out of town. That meant that we couldn't go to church very often. However, when my mom and dad did have us covered, back in those days at those swim meets, every Sunday morning there was a non-denominational church service uh, that was offered. And much to our chagrin, mom and dad made us go just about every week. What we found, though, is when we did attend our home church, it became increasingly obvious that the pastor did not approve of our behavior. I can recall as a 15-year-old kid hearing many times from the pulpit that those who put other things like sports before God were doomed for hell. Let me tell you, that leaves a mark on a 15-year-old. I was 15 years old in when my parents had a meeting with this pastor and we ended up leaving the church. So my picture of God was now taken from the condemning, judgmental, and self-righteous words of a pastor from the pulpit. It marked the beginning of a 25-year period for me where I had neither use nor tolerance of this thing we call religion, or what I called organized religion. Fast forward to the early years of my marriage. My wife was beautiful, fun, smart, and beautiful. She might listen to this. I thought I'd throw that in there twice. <laughs> she also was a person that attended church every weekend. As much as I loved her, it took me only about a year to realize that her church was not going to work for me and that she was going to go without me. 
She was an awesome picture of God to me for 17 years as she never pushed me to go. She was such an awesome picture, in fact, that I had no idea that it was a picture of God. She was so full of grace for me. Then we had children. As they grew and were brought up in the tradition of the church that she attended, I watched from the sidelines. One by one, my children reached the age where they received their first communion. I was on hand all four times, but I had to sit helplessly aside and watch as the rest of my family went up, and I was not allowed to receive it. Remember, this is when I was lost. I didn't know any better, and I knew that I had gone through all the classes at my church and that I had been deemed worthy to receive communion in my church, and yet I couldn't hear. I can't recall a time in my life where I felt personally dirtier. Mind you, I was dirty. I cried like a baby in the pew each time. Those times only served to further alienate me from this thing called organized religion. I was growing intolerant. I was coming to hate it and all it stood for. I couldn't see or feel this love they seemed to be talking about every time I did go. I was lost. Now, I want to relate, I and mean, I should have done this earlier, I want to relate this to you right now, that I, my plan is not to offend anybody that's here today. Please remember that I'm relating to you a story of what religion looked like to me when I was outside of it. I don't believe that any church anywhere sets out to offend the lost. I don't believe that they set out to offend those that are members of another religion, not to mention those that are members of no religion, or those that are people, members of the same religion but a different denomination. I just don't believe that that's their goal. But it seems to me that we should be loving the lost and not discarding them or making them feel as if they're discarded. When I moved to Kokomo in 1998, I was still far from God. When people asked me why I moved to Kokomo from Pittsburgh, I often replied, I don't know. The opportunity to grow my career, to become a CEO, seemed as good an answer as any, so that's the one that I used. The truth is that the God of this universe was preparing to meet me for the first time in a true and genuine way in a little town called Kokomo, Indiana. And he started working on me shortly after I arrived. About a year after I arrived, I started to have a nagging sense that despite all my success in the things that I had done, I was missing something. I felt incomplete. I remember sharing this with a pastor friend of mine in early 2000, and he took me to lunch. During that lunch, I expressed this odd feeling to him and told him there was something uh, just nagging at me and that I'd love to read the Bible, but I've never had a Bible that I could understand. So the very next day, he dro dropped this off for me here at the Y. It's the message, which is in contemporary language, that I can understand. I read this just like a novel. God was preparing me. I met with another pastor for a few weeks and learned more from him. In May of that year, I had an opportunity to go teach about character development at a Christian leadership conference in Belfontain, Ohio. I received another Bible. This one, a New Living Translation, which is my personal favorite now. God was setting me up for the most miserable days and time of my life. The day was June 16th of 2000. And on that day, a young child, six-year-old boy, and our YMCA day camp program drowned at the seashore pool. I had never experienced in my life such helplessness. I knew as I stood on the deck that morning that life was to be forever altered. How do I face a mother who's lost a child? How do I face a staff and a community that had such faith in me? 
what do I do now? This isn't something they taught us in YMCA director school. I do know that when I arrived home that the next morning, actually about 1.30 in the morning on June 17th, that the first thing I did was open that Bible that I had just happened to receive four weeks earlier. That day I became a man that read the Bible every day. I was looking for answers, but I had no idea what I would find. In typical Dave fashion, I tried to handle all of this on my own wits. However, the pressure of trying to provide direction and answers and solutions and help and counsel to so many people took its toll on me. It wasn't long before I was spiraling down into a deep, dark pit. I soon became despondent and useless to all around me. At that time, I considered leaving my wife because I loved her too much to put her through the pain of my existence. And I fantasized about suicide. I took to drinking every night to try to grab an hour or so of sleep. It wasn't uncommon for me in those days that followed to be sitting on my porch nursing my fourth or fifth or sixth beer at 4 a.m. because I couldn't sleep. I was taking, I was, it was all taking a toll and I had to stop soon. I was finally driven to my knees in early August and I prayed fervently for God to help me. The realization that I wasn't nearly skilled enough to handle everything hit me full force. I couldn't continue on the path I was on. My prayer was simple and it was brief. I remember it word for word. God, help. Well, God heard me and his response was immediate and powerful. The very next morning I woke and felt the weight of the world was lifted from my shoulders. It was a physical sense of God's presence. I remember again, word for word, my very first thoughts when I crawled out of bed. And that was, oh my, there is a God. Don't get me wrong, my life wasn't all of a sudden a bed of roses. But the realization that God was there was awesome to me. God broke through eternity in that moment and tore down 40 years of rebellion and indifference to the religion of this world to touch me where I was, drunken and tired at 5 a.m. on my bedroom floor. I was totally broken and totally willing to allow Him to be who He was. He broke through all of the signs that for me had been blocking up the scenery for me to see the kingdom of God for 40 years. So what did I do with this newfound sense of God answering my prayer? Well, of course, I continued to stay in bed on Sunday mornings while my wife and the kids went to church. It so happens that in early September of 2000, my wife and kids attended a church that is geared for the unchurched. During the service, my wife rushed out of the auditorium to call me. Three times, in fact, she called me. She didn't get me, of course, because I was still in bed. Or as I said, I was worshiping at my church of St. Mattress. She did call me three times, though, and when they came home all excited, I promised her that I would go the next week. I did go, and it felt as if Mark had been following me around because he spoke directly to me. The other 400-plus people that were in the auditorium that day might as well have been home because he was talking to me. He nailed everything that was going on in my life in one 30-minute period. Something else funny happened. I felt uplifted, and I felt good when I left. My first thought upon that realization as I was walking up the aisle was this. This must be a cult. Because we all know that church is boring, irrelevant, and is boring. Then I remember early on in my attendance there, I had lunch with one of the staff people to talk about what Christianity was all about. He explained to me about the separation of man and God due to our sinful nature and explained that there was a way to bridge this gap. 
And after he showed me an illustration, which I'm sure many of you have seen, I remember looking at him and saying, is that all there is to it? Just believe. That seems way too easy, Carl. What I really felt was if it was that easy, then everybody would be a Christian, wouldn't they? He went on to explain about God's gift to us of His grace. I left that meeting thinking about what he said and determined to find out more. I continued to pray daily, read the Bible, and to talk to people from that church as well as other churches. In early October, I said the salvation prayer in church, which Carl had said was the first step. Basically what that means is that I admitted to God that I was a sinner, I accepted His Son, Jesus Christ, as my personal Savior, and I asked God to take control of my life. Still, that seemed too easy. Even though God was showing Himself around me every day by the changes occurring in my heart and in my way of thinking about the world, I just wasn't sure that this was all of God and not of me because I wanted it so badly. All of a sudden, my prayers took on a new tone. I prayed to God to show me this was of Him and not of me. Now, I knew by this time, because I'd read the Bible a lot at this point, that I wasn't supposed to ask Him for a sign. But as you've probably been able to tell already, I'm not necessarily the smartest puppy in the litter. So I did it anyway. Then at a gathering on November 19th of 2000, as we were praising God with We Fall Down, I felt the very hand of God reach in and gently massage my heart. I actually felt God's holy presence around me and in me in that moment. Right there and then I broke down crying uncontrollably and fell. The song was very appropriate, We Fall Down. I did. But regardless, even though I embarrassed my wife and my kids, in that moment I recognized and accepted Jesus Christ for who He was, for who the Bible tells us He was. And I accepted Him in that moment and it proved to me that God had even answered the prayers of a stubborn fool like me. Every day since then has been a day to grow in my love for and my knowledge of God and His kingdom. Ultimately, God led my wife to a deeply committed relationship with Him instead of an, a religious approach to His blessing. All four children were saved during the years to come. In August of 2001, my wife and I were baptized together. This time because we wanted to, not because that's what the program said we were to do. I look forward each day to knowing God more and growing into a deeper relationship with Him. I, I leave this with you. If you're here today and you're not sure whether you have a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, take this time right now to cement that relationship. If your heart is crying out to you right now, then ask the God that created you to reveal Himself to you. If religion has gotten in the way of you recognizing the very real God, then take this time right now to make yourself right with Him. He is simply waiting for you. Cry out to Him. As I close in prayer, I make this request. If you are in a genuine relationship and a true relationship with God, then take the next few moments as we pray to pray for those in the room that may be recognizing the Savior for the first time today in this moment. If you're not sure of your place with God, or if you, like I did for so long, have allowed religion to stand in the way of a right relationship, then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. John told us last week that you could begin this relationship anywhere. Well, it's true. You can even begin this relationship in the gymnasium of a YMCA. Use your own words to express these thoughts that I'll lay out there for you. 
And I want to warn you right now, there is nothing magical about the words I'm going to speak. They are a simple reflection of the heart that you have for the God that reaches out to save you. With that in mind, again, if you feel the tug on your heart, then just repeat something like this after me. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for revealing yourself to me here today. God, I admit that I fall far short of the glory that you have set forth and the glory that you have shown me. God, I am a sinner and I am incapable of earning my way into your presence. God, as such, I admit my need for your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, was crucified on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for my sins, and was raised again three days later. Father God, I accept your abundant gift of grace. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would be with me and guide me for the remainder of my days. Father, I thank you for your gift and I give you all the praise and the honor and the glory that are yours now and forever. In the precious and holy name of my Savior, my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.